You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Be here with uh, um, you this morning, and we've got a lot, I think, that uh, we're going to be covering in Romans chapter 12 today. Now, we discovered at the beginning of this series that the book of Romans wasn't just like dropped out of the sky. Paul was writing Romans for a specific purpose Though he had never visited Rome before this point in time, though he had never been with these Christians, he knew about them. He knew a lot of them by name, we found in Romans chapter 16. By the way, we started this whole series out at the end of the letter, kind of like if you've ever read a whodunit, checking out the end to see who did it. (laughs) And then you start at the beginning and see all the clues along that fit with that end. That's kind of how we did it with Romans, understanding Paul had a certain purpose in this letter. There were eight-ish house churches that seemed to have all sorts of people from different backgrounds together. But what had happened in Roman society, and I would dare say reflects a lot of our societies, there was a lot of stratification, there was a lot of division, there were a lot of us them going on back then between slaves and frees, Gentiles and Jews, and between men and women. And Paul said, not in the church, not among God's people, that all those things are mended and healed through the fact that God has justified us, made us righteous with him, declared us righteous with him through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference. And so God mends broken lives, broken people, a broken world through Jesus. So we are going to read now the last of the four hinge passages. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. There are four big therefores in this gospel. This is the last one in Romans chapter 12. And each of them acts like a door hinge. And the whole letter kind of swings on that. And so we're going to swing for the last time in this letter um, towards the practical the application of the gospel of what it means that we are justified. And if we are justified, therefore, because of the mercies of God, that's how Paul talks about it. So let's read in Romans 12. We're going to read 1 through 8. And I dare say it's really hard to do justice to this passage, just like a lot of the letter. I think it was uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones that preached on Romans about 50 a hundred different sermons. It took him like three years to get through the whole thing. This uh, preacher in Great Britain at one time. um, I don't think we have, I don't have the the stamina to preach that long on one letter of the New Testament. We're doing 13 weeks. And so even with this passage, man, um, I can't do it all it, it justice. Um, it's something that you might want to let sink in, but um, let's read along now. Romans 12, 1 to 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. 
For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So that's what we're going to look at today. And as I said, we can't quite do it all justice, but we're going to look at the payoff now to what it means that we have been justified, that we now get to live transformed lives, lives that are different. So what Paul does here, in a sense, someone has said is, a reduced Christianity in a nutshell to this is what your life is now all about. Kind of this is it in a condensed form. Paul is summing up the first 11 chapters of Romans with that therefore. And this is what the Christian life is all. Simple but profound. And we're going to look at that. So we're going to um, be looking at this passage, three different areas. The core, the cause, and the character. That is the core or the nutshell of what it means to live in Christ, to be justified. The cause, like why behind it should we be living and what's the power behind it, the cause of our ability to live following Jesus. And finally, the character of those who follow Jesus. First of all, the core. And Paul uses this striking phrase at the beginning. He says that we are to live as living sacrifice. Therefore, offer your bodies as living sacrifice sacrifices. So that's what he says is the nutshell, being a living sacrifice. So what does that mean? What does that phrase mean, living sacrifice? Um, And it's actually weirder than you think. It's pretty weird. Because in that day and age, the Greeks, the Romans, and the Jews would all know what sacrifice meant. It's the Greek word thusian, And they would have seen Thusians since childhood, all the way through life, because Thusians, these were things that were done at the temples and at ritual sites on a regular basis in Roman and Greek temples. Sacrifices were used. Animals were brought before. I know we don't do this. We haven't done it for a long time, and I'm kind of glad, okay? But they were used to sacrifices where an animal was placed upon an altar and there was a ritual killing of the animal and the blood poured out to the god or gods. And even the Old Testament had sacrifices that were made, Thusians, a living sacrifice, though. Paul says that phrase, a living sacrifice. It's a paradox, He actually uses the words thusian zosan, and zoe is life. It's basically saying, may your lives be a living killing. Does that sound like something you want to be? We'll get into that. So Paul, in a sense, is saying, your life now is similar to a sacrifice, but it's very different, too. There is a similarity to the sacrifices that everybody knew about and a totally different thing at the same time. So first of all, we're going to look at what's different about your life being a sacrifice and what was going on in both Old Testament times and in the Greco-Roman world. 
So how is it different? Well, the old sacrifices, first of all, were bloody. <laughs> they were bloody and they were atoning. Um, they atoned for sin, specifically in the um, Old Testament understanding of it. Um, they would, like once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, bring a little lamb, spotless and without blemish, and they would offer it as a sacrifice for the sins of the people for that year. And the high priest would take the blood of that lamb on a hyssop branch and walk in alone into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the um, covering on the Ark of the Covenant. And it would be an atonement, a covering over, a replacement for the sins of the people. Now, the book of Leviticus talks about why in the world would you do this? This is kind of gross and, and, and all. Why would you need to do this? Why would you do this? This sounds kind of, you know. And Leviticus says it this way. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Whether we want to recognize this or not, my failings, my rebellion, my sins, if you want to call them that, my, not just mistakes, but willfulness, and my relationship to God brought such a breach that there was a price that needed to be paid for that. There was something that had caused a rift between the holy God and me being such an unholy person. And I couldn't bridge that gap. And God said, something's got to cost. Some, someone's got to pay for it. And then God provided. That's what's so amazing in the Old Testament. God provided the lamb as a provisional covering. That blood, life had to be given up. I don't know if you recognize this. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first rebelled against God and wanted to play God and take God's attributes and his power and his glory for themselves, how did God respond? You know, they covered themselves up. They knew they needed a covering themselves. And, of course, it was the fig leaves, right, um, which would probably shrivel up in a day or so after you put them on. I can't imagine fig leaf fashions. But do you know what the Bible says then? God took an animal and made a covering from their skin, which means there was a sacrifice already then. God had provided a covering from the animal skins that was much more permanent by sacrificing an animal and spilling its blood for the sake of Adam and Eve already in Genesis 3. And God says, there's a cost. And rather have your life, I'm going to allow it to be this life to cover for you. Now, it was always incomplete. Every year, every month, every time, there would be sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice until all these provisional things were summed up in the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And you can read this in the book of Hebrews. It goes into great detail. I just want to share this one verse in Hebrews 10, 14, where um, the writer says, For by a single offering, Jesus, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Finally, there was a bloody sacrifice 
of God's Son himself who gave up everything. So as God had provided all the way in Genesis 3 through God providing in the book of Leviticus through the life of the blood of an animal to God providing his very own life of his Son. God keeps providing. And now, once for all, this bloody, deadly sacrifice is finished. And that is why you don't have a bloody atoning sacrifice anymore. When I, quote, sacrifice anything for God, it's not to make up for my sins. It's not for atonement. You know, I know a lot of people still think that. They kind of like want to make a deal with God with like, okay, God, if I offer, if, you know, Lord, Lord, you really need to intervene and I will dedicate my life to you if... And they're trying to, in a sense, make a deal with God in those times of pressure. You know, have you ever heard people kind of pray those prayers? I understand because, man, there are some desperate times where you are facing difficulty in life or a loved one. If my child would be, you know, hospitalized with a terminal disease and I'm praying to God, I might say, oh, God, you've got to. And if you do this, then I will. Right? I get it, but I'm almost trying to make a sacrifice saying, I'll do this if for something that God has already given. Already given. I don't sacrifice to gain God's favor. I already have God's favor because of Jesus' sacrifice. I don't sacrifice in order to get God's blessings. I already have God's blessings. I don't sacrifice to be... Come righteous, I am already declared righteous. Because I have been justified, any living sacrifice talk that Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 12 is not about you trying to take care of or make a deal with God or cover over or pay God back in any way. It's not about that. Not at all. A living sacrifice is different because it's not bloody. Paul's saying, instead, you offer yourselves up to God wholly and completely in response to the sacrifice of that bloody Friday in Jesus. So first of all, the Old Testament sacrifices were um, bloody uh, for sin and atonement. Ours is not. But secondly, the Old Testament sacrifices as well that were done were Offered up once, and it was over. You know, you went to the temple, you went to the tabernacle, you did your thing, you offered up the lamb, boom, you go home, you're done. Right? That's kind of the way it works. Uh, They weren't complete. You'd have to go back every year, plug in once in a while. A living sacrifice, by contrast, is never over. It's continual. I heard a pastor once say years ago, I think this was back in college, so way many years ago, um, the trouble with the living sacrifice is it's always trying to crawl off the altar. <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, that's me. You know, I'd like to say, okay, I've given my, and now it's time to pull back. Oh, I've, I, I've put in my tithe for the week, so I'm done. I'm not done. Uh, I I plugged in, did my hour of worship, I watched online, I survived one of Pastor John's long sermons. I've done my time. 
I am. I am very long. <laughs> At about this point in time now, you're saying, oh, how long is he going to be? Yeah. Um, you know, so many of us think worship is going to church. You know, sing a few songs, do a little dance, give a few bucks. That's not worship. That's a ritual. And it is part of worship. But worship is the whole living sacrifice. You don't go to church. You are the church. You don't come and worship. You have been worshiping when you woke up this morning. Your whole life is worship. Your whole life is a thanksgiving to God for the grace that God has given you, the fact that you have been justified. And so everything that you do, whether it's today, Sunday morning, when you set aside a time to do this, or when you're devotionally reading, or if you're praying, or you're serving, you're changing diapers, you're, you're working, everything becomes a living sacrifice. There's not a part of my life, anytime I'm breathing, it's part of the living sacrifice to God in thanksgiving for what he has done. You know, um, so a living sacrifice is different from ritual sacrifices because Paul, um, they, they're not just offered once, they're offered all the time. So a living sacrifice is what is different. Now I've lost my train of thought, and gosh, I don't know what happened. Hmm, it wasn't you, though, Hugo. You didn't do it. Um, worship is whole life response to the mercies of God. Why did Paulo call it a sacrifice? Why, if it's so different from the Old Testament sacrifices that it's not just once, but it's continual and it's not bloody, why does he call it sacrifice at all? Because in the end, a living there is a killing going on. There is something that is put to death on a daily basis, a continual basis in your life and mine. And so he uses that word. Paul is basically saying, and here we go, this is something that might be stunning to say in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we think our freedom is the end-all and be-all and where I get to make my decisions the way I want to make them. And here's the thing that Paul is saying is that a living sacrifice means you die to the self that wants to be in control. That you basically say you willingly put aside I'm in charge of my own life and my decisions. Holy frijoles. That's shocking. I know. I used to believe that, you know, the part that needed to be put to death in me was kind of like what um, uh, Sigmund Freud would call the id, if you've ever heard of that. You know, the id is those impulses and things you kind of want to do that you know that you shouldn't do. And the superego is the part that tries to over t tell you don't do those things. And the ego is kind of that part that's really you yada, yada, yada. I might be totally off on Freud here. But I always thought it was kind of just my impulses, the bad things, the things that I didn't really even want in my life, too, that I put to death. But no, Jesus doesn't say that. The New Testament doesn't say it's just your id that needs to go. It's your whole self. 
This is what's so shocking about a living sacrifice. Jesus puts it this way to his disciples, the people who were already following him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, not part of himself or the bad parts that he doesn't like about himself or his impulses only. No, he says the whole thing. All of me. It's not that I just need my id. It's my ego that needs to go. The I at the center of me that wants to control, wants to be in charge, the I want my way, my rights, I know best, I want to make the decision, me first, that's the part of me that needs to go, not just, oh, yeah, I don't like that part. The whole self. Whether I want to admit it or not, that all needs to go. That's the essence of worship. Paul says, this in Romans 6, 19 to 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The sacrifice is the fact that every day I wake up, it's like, I am not my own. It's not just me getting to choose whatever I want to do today. I'm not in charge. I don't get to. No, I'm not my own. I don't own this body. I don't own anything. It's all God's. It's all out of his mercy and grace he's given me anything that I've got. You know, even pastors struggle with this. I know it looks like we're so spiritual, but we're not. We're no more spiritual than anyone else. And pastors may substitute some of the stuff, you know, but we've got ego issues as well. Very big struggles with this. And we often will say, Lord, I'll dedicate my life to you if, if, you know, I'll start a church and if it grows, man, I'll keep doing it. And if you give us a big building and big bucks and a big budget and a big, you know, book contract and all these things, then man, Yes, I'm serving the Lord, and it's great. As long as I get my ego needs meet, met, and as long as my, my family is living a middle-class or upper-middle-class life, as long as things are progressing, man, I'll, I'll obey you all the time. Do you know what happens when we do that, though? We're saying, Lord, I'll follow you if. Just eliminate everything before that if, and whatever that comes after that if is what you're really serving whom you're really following, what's really the center of your being. You know, God will obey you if what's ever on the other side, that's what you're sacrificing for. Now, there's some people might be tuning in right now or might be here for the first time going like, ooh, man, you know, this is getting a little long and a little tough, and I don't know if I like this part of the sermon anymore. Maybe this Christianity thing is something I can pass on. You're serving somebody. You're sacrificing to something. Whether you recognize it or not. You might say, hey, you know, I'm just wanting to focus on whatever's making me happy. 
That's what I want to focus on. So if, if you as, you know, if church is a kind of a feel-good experience Sunday after Sunday, I'll keep coming back. But once it stops feeling good, it's time for me to move on to find my happiness elsewhere. But, you know, so I'm just trying to pursue my happiness. Whatever my career is, whatever, as long as it makes me happy, as long as it, you know, our society says that all the time, right? Well, you try pursuing happiness as what you're sacrificing for, what you're working for, and you're always pursuing happiness. I don't know if you realize this, but it's kind of like a drug. And the more and more and more, the bigger the hits, the more the amusement you need to keep feeling about the same way you did five years ago. You keep having to improve and have bigger things and better things and more fun things until finally you get to the point where it all just feels kind of meaningless because all you're living for is your own happiness and it just doesn't seem like enough because it isn't. It isn't. You might say, I want to dedicate my, myself to my spouse and to romance or to my uh, family. I'm going to sacrifice all for my family. And then you expect out of your family everything you need. When you start expecting out of your spouse or any individual everything that you need, do you realize how demanding you will be of them? How impossible it is for a human being to fulfill all of your needs? You have a God-sized hole in your life that only God can fill. And anytime you try to stuff a human being and demand them to play the role that only God can play in your life, you are going to become dictatorial towards them, possessive of them, and you will start to destroy the very thing that you're saying you're dedicating your life, your family, your marriage, romance, whatever it is. You'll lose, it'll slip right through your fingers. You're going to serve something. You're sacrificing for something. You have some purpose and direction in life already. The question is, really, like I've said before, why would you give your life as a living sacrifice to God? So that comes to the cause for following Jesus. Paul is saying basically through the 11 chapters, this, the hinge chapter, as I said, in Romans chapter 12 here, is saying, therefore, because of all the mercies of God, everything he has said up to this point in the book of Romans is pointing to the fact that God, in not the abstract, but in the particular, has shown his mercy to you when you didn't deserve any. He has forgiven you when you were unforgivable by anybody else's standards. He is giving everything to you in concrete ways. And finally and ultimately, it is through Jesus Christ that you know who God's mercy is for. All of the mercies of God are ultimately finally displayed in Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing to me in this uh, letter as well as in just the fact that how God, he's not asking you to do something that God has not already done himself. Jesus was a living and a dying sacrifice for you. He willingly gave up everything for you. In John chapter 10, it says it this way, For this reason, 
The Father loves me because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to, to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus himself offers himself as a sacrifice. And why did he do it? Not just as a living, he offers a bloody sacrifice. He offers his entire life. He pours out everything. Why does he do it? He sacrifices all simply to have you. Jesus took his hands off of his own life and said, even though I have the right to it, I'm letting my father decide everything about me. Even when it seems like I'm going through, in fact, when I'm going through hell on the cross, my hands are off my life for your sake. And Paul says, that's why. Because of what Jesus has done, because of that fact that he became unrighteous so we would be righteous. He became sin that we might be holy in God's eyes. <coughs> he faced death so that we would have life. That is why Paul says this is your logike, your logical worship. It really means reasonable. It might some translations say spiritual. It's hard to understand what this word really means, but basically it's saying, hey, if you understand anything about what Jesus has done for you, it's so much. The only reasonable response, the only thing that makes sense is to just offer everything you are back to God as a living sacrifice. So that's the cause. The gospel itself gives you the power, the cause, the reason, the why to do the unthinkable, to be a living sacrifice. So finally, the characteristics, real quickly. First of all, it impacts your whole life. He says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That sounds so contradictory to the Greco-Roman world because they thought the body wasn't something to offer. It was kind of there, but the real important part was the spiritual, whatever that was. And Paul says, no, there's not part of your life that's not important to God. And he wants embodied sacrifice. He wants you fully, completely, everything that you've got. So there's not a part of your life that you say, well, that part of it doesn't, you know. No, God wants it all. And everything can become worship. Every aspect, the mundane, the simple, the profound in your life is all worship. Secondly, it transforms your inner self. Paul, it's toward the end of this passage, says, By the grace given to me, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but have a sober judgment. That's the renewal of the mind that happens because of the gospel. Because you have understood that you've been justified before God, it's no longer your self-importance isn't based on self anymore. Your self-esteem is not based on your performance anymore. You know, everyone in the world usually gets their self-worth based on how good they are at stuff. And if you're good at something, you feel good. And if you fail at something, you feel terrible. For the Christian, your whole self-importance now is based on the fact that Jesus Christ gave up his life for you. That's how valuable you are. That's how much you're worth to God. So you don't have to worry about doing well or doing poorly. You are freed from that. You have had an inner transformation. And third aspect, quickly, is this means that you're going to become a servant. 
Being a living sacrifice means that you're going to start saying, hey, what can I do for others? I don't have to be focused on myself anymore. I don't have to gain self-esteem from what I do. I don't have to uh, gain all this stuff. I've been given all the blessings of the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ already. In Romans 12, it'll talk about a whole laundry list of different spiritual gifts from prophecy to mercy to generosity to um, teaching to leading. And Paul says, do it. Fully invest yourselves in it, serving others. So the gospel is going to make you a servant. The justification of Jesus Christ the fact that you have been justified by God through Jesus Christ, uh, through Christ, through faith in him, means the fact that now you live a life that's transformed. From top to bottom, you can offer yourselves as a living sacrifice out of joy and thanksgiving to others. It's so funny this week, um, just to close up, I was in... Um, my one class teaching at FGCU, we were uh, talking about ethics this week. And we brought up some ethical dilemmas for the students to consider. And one was over, um, you are in an employee situation at FGCU. They use that as the example. And you notice how a, um, your boss is treating a coworker and um, really in ways that would uh, be defined as sexual harassment. You know bad jokes, you know, all those snide kind of remarks off to the side, power plays and stuff. And you know that if you report this, you might lose your job. It's not directed towards you. What would you do? Two-thirds of the students basically said, hey, I'd let that person take care of it. And I'm just like inside burning up inside. You know, I just can't. It's like, no, that's not, no, no. I, you know, they were shocked. I was surprised they were shocked. They said, so you would actually report this even if it meant you'd lose your job? And I said, yeah. Well, what about your family's livelihood and everything? If you, It's like, and being at a public university, I'm just, I'm trying to say, well, you know, the reason I'm, is because, you know, I've got someone who's in charge of my life that doing the, quote, right thing, which isn't that hard to do, because that's just part of the offering to God. Do you understand that? It's like, yeah, well, he'll take care of that. He's provided for my family anyways. If I would get fired for doing the right thing in this situation, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to do what's right, even if it costs me. That's what a living sacrifice is, right? Now, it's easy to say in the hypothetical, but I'm surprised at how many students were saying, not even in the hypothetical. You're called, we're called, to not just do the hypothetical. We're called to give ourselves to this world for the sake of this world as Jesus gave himself for the sake of this world. To show them the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. To offer ourselves as a living sacrifice joyfully to God and saying, okay, Lord, this is your life, so if you want me to do this, you'll take care of it in whatever way you want, but I'm okay with that. You're going to be a servant to others, and to use whatever position and power that you have, whatever privilege you might have, for the sake of others and not just for yourself. 
So you'll be a servant. It'll transform you, you inside and out, and it impacts your whole life. So that is the core, the cause, and the character. This is a verse to memorize. Very simple but profound. It's the nutshell of what it means to live as a Christian. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's pray. Lord God, whew, this day, um, I just pray somehow this word's gotten a little deeper in us, Lord. You know, I kind of stumbled and fumbled through this one. Um, lost my train of thought, but I'm hoping you, Lord, Holy Spirit, have still and touched all of our lives. That we have understood it just makes sense to respond to you and to offer ourselves to you, Lord God, because of your mercies are so great. Jesus, you were that bloody, dying sacrifice to take our place so that we could be a living sacrifice to serve you and serve others. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did. We can never pay you back. In fact, you don't want us to. You don't care about that. That's not what it's about. You want us to just fully receive it and then to live in joy because of it. So bless us, Lord, especially at this time and in this place where so much the world seems to be so focused and here in our nation, focused on our rights and our position and our power that we as your followers would be willing to give up for the sake of others, to give, to serve, no matter how menial it might seem and how mundane to just be yours. We pray, Lord, today for a number of people in our church as well who need your mercies today. We lift up to you Chris, who will on the 17th have surgery. Bless her, Lord. Prepare her ahead of time. And afterwards, Lord, as she recovers uh, from this back surgery, Lord, your healing. We lift up to you, Andy, as she was hospitalized again in new feeding tube, Lord. We pray this one uh, is effective and she is nourished. And over the next few weeks through the clinical trial, she grows stronger, Lord, and your healing is there for her. That you'd be with those who are feeling isolated now, those who are facing unemployment now, those who are struggling in so many ways. We pray your healing hand upon Vern and upon Chris, the Grisky's grandson as well, and Kai, the grandson of Rebecca Llewellyn, Lord. That in all of these individuals, Lord, your power would be perfected even in their weakness and you would be glorified and they'd grow closer to you through all of these experiences. Lord God, it is a paradoxical life you call us to, to be a living sacrifice. Teach us the joy of that, Lord, in responding to your gospel, that we would see your mercies every day. And teach us, O Lord, profoundly to live in such a way that the world is shocked at the way that we respond to circumstances and situations. And you are clearly um, glorified. So bless us now, Lord, as we're going to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Help us to respond by just having open hearts and open hands to everything you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.